He's got a beautiful backswing. That's, oh, he got all of that one. Oh my gosh. That is amazing. Lay up with an iron into the hazard. Well, that wasn't quite what I meant, you know. What is good, everybody? Welcome into the 73rd Hole Podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. Sam Humphreys, Taylor Williams, Jim Woodward with you as always. And before we get started, I do want to tease a little something for later on in the week. We have a big surprise and a big announcement. For people, I guess I would say, later on in the week. But today we are going to do our recaps of the Honda and of Live Golf Mayakoba and our preview for Bay Hill. And T Dub, I want to start with Live Golf Mayakoba. Charles Howe III gets the job done. The former Cowboy goes out there and plays one of the most flawless, unflappable final rounds you will ever see, going out in 30 on the front nine and ends up winning the golf tournament, T-Dub, not only for his team, but wins it for himself, finishes 16 under four shots over Peter Uline, Brandon Grace ends up on the pedestal as well in third place at 10 under par. But man, like I said, it was one of the most just flawless final rounds that I've ever seen. He goes out, T-Dub, and he birdies two and three. Starts on number one, by the way. Birdies two and three, then has four straight birdies from number five to number eight. Then birdies 10 to kind of, you know, secure that lead. And then finishes it off with a birdie at 17. I don't know that there's a golf course on this planet that suits Charles Howe III any better than Mayakoba, and he even talked about it before the tournament even started, T-Dub. Earlier in the week, Charles Howe had a great quote. He said, out here at Mayakoba, there's 18 birdie holes and there's 18 bogey holes. The thing about Mayakoba is you can miss, but the big miss is going to punish you. We saw it with Jason Kokrak. We saw it with Taylor Gooch, and then finally we saw it with Peter Uline. Charles Howe never had that big miss. Am I right? I mean, in all honesty, I don't know if Charles Howe's ever had a big miss in his entire life. <laughs> I mean, that right. guy just hits it on a frozen rope every single time. And you're exactly right, Sam. I mean, this course was just 100% tailor-made for Charles Howe. really should have been able to prognosticate that a little bit better before the week because one thing, too, is that ever since he joined Liv, his worst finish over there was 26, which is pretty much middle of the pack. So, I mean, even going over there with some of the other names, I get even last year the fields weren't as strong as they were now, but he had been playing really solidly since he went over there, very similar to uh, Peter Eulon and some other guys we'll talk about here in a little bit. But, uh, I mean, Woody, just, just the precision that I saw from Charles Howe, being able to shoot eight under in the final round, he was seven under through the first ten. And, and just the, the thing about it, like, like as Sam mentioned, with that you can make 18 birdies or 18 bogeys, I mean, you can, you can make triples and quads out there very easily like it's nothing. And he just played so steady and smoothly. He putted good, too. And and this is going to go underrated because he won by a decent amount of strokes. But that birdie he was able to make on 17, uh, what it was, about 20-footer or so, after Peter Uline was making a little bit of a run on him after he made that triple on um, on 12, but it was still uh, Uline was able to birdie four of his next five holes. Put a little bit of pressure on uh, on Charles now because if he hadn't made that, he would have only been up, I believe, three shots going into the final hole. And Woody, you can easily blow a tee shot left or right on that and blow it. So I think that not only did Charles show that the strength he needed early in the round to get out to the big lead, but he did exactly everything he needed to do down the stretch to secure that victory. 
I have to agree with you all wholeheartedly, both of you guys. It looked like from hole one to me, he just took command of that golf tournament. I always thought in watching Charles Powell, even when he was at Oklahoma State, and then when he went on tour, I really am still shocked that he didn't win more than he did. There was so many reasons for him to win a lot of times on the PGA Tour. And whereas he made a lot of money and he finished second and third and fourth a lot, wins he had just three. And I still find that hard to believe, especially when you watch how he played that last round at Mayakopa. He's under the gun. Three guys right there gunning for it, all Oklahoma State grads, may I add. And just came out and put his, you know, foot on everybody else's throat and just won the golf tournament. So, you know, I think it speaks volumes for how good a player he is, for one thing. And the other fact is, is everybody says, oh, they go to live for the money and they don't care. Well, he looked like he cared to me. No, he definitely looked like he cared, Woody. And obviously, you remember Charles Howell a little more in his prime than T-Dub or I do just because of our age. I mean, tell us what Charles Howell was like when he was younger because I look at the stats here. It's so hard for a guy to win, you know, 20 years apart like Charles Howell just did. And then not to mention the fact that he's made like over $42 million in his career on the PGA Tour. He didn't have to go to live for the money, Woody. He wanted to continue to grind at this. How hard is it not only to keep that mindset to want to try to win golf tournaments. But how hard is it to just actually stay out there for that long? I know a lot of people criticize him for the three PGA Tour wins. But, man, to me, that's a testament to how good he played for that many years and how close he came for that many years and still wanted to keep grinding at it, right? Well, you you guys, we've heard it said more than once. It is hard to win on the PGA Tour. And... If you look at Charles Howe from the time he was at Oklahoma State all the way to now, and I don't see it's going to change, really, to be honest with you, he still might be one of the purest ball strikers of the golf ball I've ever seen. Um, we always talk about that sound that guys make when they hit a golf ball. He, Ricky Fowler, and Anthony Kim. There's been a bunch of them that I've been witnessing when they were in college that everybody just went, wow, that's different. Um, I think what I love about most about Charles Howe is he didn't change. Uh, I remember when he first turned pro, he married a girl from Kingfisher, Oklahoma. I don't know if you guys know that. And he came back. He came back to Oklahoma during Christmas holidays, during stuff like that. And he'd always come to the club, whether it was Oak Tree Country Club or Oak Tree National. Still does. And he'd hit balls. And that still does. Yeah, and he'd hit balls and hang. And uh, he just, he never changed. He, uh, He was called way before it was ever talked about, an ATM machine. When when he teed it up in the golf tournament, you could bet he was going to bank some money, and you just didn't know how much. So the consistency, what you're talking about, Sam, that even though, yeah, there's critics out there, we just won three times. But the amount of money, the number of years, never losing his play privileges at any time, I don't know, guys. Uh, you can have 20 wins. But I think that what Charles Howe did is, I still think, is more impressive to me. I really do. I know that sounds stupid to y'all, but to stay on that tour for that long and still be as competitive as now, oh, man, that's hard to do. I think the thing about that that's most impressive is 
before they took all the live guys off of the PJ Tour career money list, which is an absolute joke to me. But he would, like you said earlier, Sam, he would have $42 million. That would have put him 19th career earnings. That's, he's ahead of guys like David Tom, Tadeki Matsuyama, Luke Donald, Keegan Bradley, Tony Finau, Billy Horschel, Patrick Cantlay, uh, Justin Leonard, Charlie Hoffman, who's been out there forever. So, I mean, it's, it's just crazy the amount of success he has had. I will say the one thing that is most shocking to me, Sam, when I look back on his career, isn't even necessarily that he only won uh, three times on the PJ Tour. It's the fact that his best finish in a major was key 10th at the 2013, or I'm sorry, the 2003 PJ Championship, which is at Oak Hill, which ironically is where it's at this year as well. So I think to me, a lot of people talk about how he, he didn't win as much on the PJ Tour, and I, I completely agree with that. But I think that he, even when Charles Howell looks back on the rest of his career, he'll say, man, I played forever. I was able to do all these great things. But if he could have just done it a little bit better in the majors, I think that is uh, really, to me, that's the thing that's most shocking. No, and it's great for Charles Howell, too. I mean, think about this. He made $42 million in his over 20-year career on the PGA Tour, and he wins one time on live, one time, and makes $4 million individually, and you add on the fact that he led Team Crushers to the team victory. That's an extra 750000 per guy. By the way, Bryson is the captain of the Crushers. They end up winning at 26 under, um, along with Paul Casey and Honorbon Lahiri and obviously Charles Howe. So just the payday from that, not talking about guaranteed money that these guys got to go to live, I'm talking about the fact that a guy like Charles Howe is finally getting compensated for the great golf that he is playing. And for a long time on the PGA Tour, he played. Charles Howe played in the Tiger Woods era, and these guys were getting underpaid for years, T-Dub. Am I right or am I crazy? I, I think with what the Tour's done over the last year would prove that you're not crazy at all. You're 100% right, and we've been clamoring for it forever. And Charles Howe, he's made how much ever money since going over to live? Made, what, $4.75 million? this week, including whatever he made last year and on top of the signing. I mean, when you're, what is he now? He's 43, something like that. No, he's a little bit older than that. Nevertheless, uh, how, I mean, he's just at a point now to where he had to do things that uh, a lot of players like Lee West or all these other guys are trying. And for whatever reason, Woody, it seems like it, it a lot of people says it's going to make them down, but sort of like what Henry Stinson did last year, it can honestly be a little bit of rejuvenation in your, to your career, right? Playing on a different tour, different scene, it just gives you a new challenge. I think like anything in life, guys, you get you get bored. You, you truly get bored. And I'm not saying that you should get bored playing the PGA Tour. Please don't get me wrong. But I think for some of those guys, they did. I mean, I think for Charles, he needed something different. He needed something to keep him motivated, 40-plus years old, like you said, T-Dub. And, and at that time in your career, he's done almost everything he wanted to do except win a major. So he's looking at anything to keep him kind of rejuvenated a lot of guys you know search for the champions tour that's what they played up to because that would rejuvenate them live not only can rejuvenate your career but you can make a a boatload of money <laughs> while you're doing it i read sam's fun you were talking about how much money he actually only won in the three events that he won on tour i'm not sure exactly where he won but He'd only made like $2.7 million when you combine all three of those wins. Mm-hmm. And yeah, isn't that funny? He wins one time on live and makes $4 million. So Over $4 million, yeah. yeah. I mean, <laughs> $4,750,000. Crazy. Yeah, when you put the team in there. So it is crazy. 
whatever comes or doesn't come of all this competition between Liz and the PGA Tour, one thing it has done, and all of us as golfers should finally say, hey, hallelujah, these guys are all getting paid finally what they deserve. And it's a travesty, like you said, T-Dub, that we haven't seen this before. And right or wrong, guys, it, the PGA's Tour's hand was forced by Live Golf. And it will it, they can hide that all they want, but it is what's happened, point blank. No doubt. And I think that Liv could not have had a better first winner this year because Charles Howe is one of the most level-headed, well-liked guys between not only Liv guys, but PGA Tour guys as well. I will not hear, and you won't hear either, a PGA Tour guy say one bad thing about Charles Howe. He is that good of a guy. And so, not to mention, by the way, another couple good guys out there he was battling. And those are two former Cowboys as well, Peter Uline and Taylor Gooch. Let's start with Taylor Gooch, T.W. He had a 40% chance to win starting the final round, and T.W., it started off bad and got worse for for t- our man Taylor Gooch and look he he pull he kept pulling iron shots he had the not too hard a iron shot short iron shot on two pulled it left into the hazard then hit his second shot into the hazard left on five with an iron as well and it just seemed like he was a little off mechanically I really do not think it was the pressure of trying to win on live I. Do not. I think that something was technically wrong, and he kept, you know, starting it left, and and it was going farther left with the irons. It just didn't make sense to me. I haven't seen TG that far off, especially you know when he's been playing so well to be first in the golf tournament, headed into Sunday, then shoots a final round five over. Obviously, didn't end the way he wanted to. Ended up uh, 14th, tied for 14th in the golf tournament. T Dub, but. I mean, what do you see from TG? Do you agree that it looked mechanical to you, or do you think that part of it was nerves? I, I think a lot of it was technical for sure. Um, before we get off the, the Charles Howe track, Woody had mentioned uh, the three times that he had won. His very first win was at the uh, Michelob Championship at Kingsmill. That, that's a tournament they don't have anymore. In 2002, he won sounds by like two shots. a tournament shots. I would really like. And I, that, that sounds like the first <laughs> one I want to sign up for. But then in 2007, he won the Nissan Open, which is now the Genesis at Riviera. Actually won in a playoff, guys, over Phil Mickelson. Won on the third playoff with a par, so that's pretty interesting. And then had to wait another 11 years before the RSM Classic, where he won in another playoff against Patrick Rogers. So that's uh, those are his three wins. I think that playoff over Phil is probably going to be uh, the highlight of his PJ Tour career. But, but going back to, to TG, I think that his, his swing did get – the mechanics were off. I think to me, Woody, it looked like he's trying to hit a lot of low shots, and whenever that happens, you can come in a little bit steeper into it, and, and what will happen is your body and your arms are going to get so out of sync. So it looked like he was kind of shifting into it while the club was dropping a little bit underneath, which was causing a lot of those hooks, especially low hooks with the driver. That's what I saw that could maybe be attributed to nerves as the reason that the swing broke down like that. But to me, it was just – it was more technical. I don't think he was just necessarily having everything right than just flinching at the ball or anything like that. That's not what it seemed like to me. And he just played so rock solid the first two rounds. Had had gone around Mayakoba 36 holes without a bogey. So, I mean, that's just so impressive. But unfortunately, he made, what, he makes six bogeys in the final round, Woody. So, kind of just had it all add up in the one day. But to me, that's what it looked like. Just came in a little steep, and uh, or his body was shifting into it, and then the club was dropping underneath. And, and Woody, I said one inaccurate thing. I said he tied for 14th. He actually tied for 11th. The way that they do the leaderboards on livegolf.com, one 
criticism I have is I do not like how they do it. It's a little misleading. He tied for 11th and uh, made 405000 I think that we have said this more than once, guys, and people just can't really appreciate this. It's easy to say, oh, the nerves got him. He's playing for a lot of money and everything else. I find that really hard to believe, gentlemen. He's been playing golf now for quite a while. He's had a number of situations where nerves could have got him even bigger. I think the conditions that day, you're right on the line, TW. I think you're you're pretty pretty spot on. I think he was trying to do something with the golf ball. He got out of sync. And, and we always say, and on any given day, a golfer can wake up one day and look like a world-class player, and the next day he can look like chopped liver. Uh, we just saw Taylor just have a bad day of golf now it just so happened it was in the final round and he was playing for a lot of money but i still don't think it was nerves i think he just had a bad day of golf yeah i agree and then we get to peter uline another former cowboys a couple shots back of charles howell headed into number 12 and he hits one of the craziest snap hooks that I've ever seen into the jungle on number 12, guys, and it kind of cooked his chances of winning this golf tournament and allowed Charles Howell to kind of coast in. And one thing that I didn't really like from that, you know, number 12 situation, uh, number one, he was asked after the round, and I thought it was a great answer. They said, what would you do differently on number 12? And he said, skip the hole (laughs) obviously um but he's over there left in the jungle and he can't hit this shot right and so he's under a bunch of not only leaves but branches that he can't move otherwise it'll move his ball and I didn't like the fact that he was 90 yards off the tee box guys if I'm his caddy I am telling him to go back to the tee. Now, the caddy said, why don't we just go back to the tee here? And then and then Peter Uline said, no, I'm not hitting that tee shot again. Well, what I would have came back with as a caddy is, even if you hit it in the crap again, you're, you're going to be farther than 90 yards off the tee box where you're taking an unplayable, so you're in and one out and two, hitting three out of the trees, and then you're just pitching straight out sideways as he did, guys. And so what I'm saying is, of course you have to go back to the tee. You could have hit a nine iron and ended up off off that tee box with your third shot off the tee box. You could have hit a nine iron and been where your pitch out was. It made no sense to me that he didn't go back to the tee and, and gain another 150 yards at least you know you, you could have hit a four iron out there and been in a better position I thought the caddy kind of screwed up when your players really flustered over there in the jungle T-Dub did you agree or disagree with that I think that it it, it was a tough place it was a tough place for the caddy because Peter was was so mentally not wanting to hit that tee shot it was evident and whenever he talked after the round as you said he wanted to skip the hole and I actually laughed out loud when I heard him say that because I mean I, I think we've all been there there's a tee shot whether it be whatever course it is that we just don't like. But I don't know if I've ever been in a situation where I wouldn't go back and at least try to hit an eight iron in, in the fairway and just try to put yourself a little bit further up than he was. It made no sense, Woody, to try to – because what what happens if you try to hit that third shot punch shot out and you don't get in the fairway? All of a sudden, you've created yourself this massive headache and you made your situation so much worse. So, I mean, for him to even be able to get that next shot out into the rough or, where, or out in the fairway, it was – Pretty damn impressive in all honesty because he was way left. And I don't know, I don't know, Woody, what would you do in situations like that when, when you were on a tee shot that you felt uncomfortable with? Because 
I, I don't think the caddy had a choice. I think he tried to get Peter to go back to the tee box, but I, I don't think you could have literally dragged him and the golf clubs all the way back to the tee box and made him go because that is how dead fit he was on not hitting that shot. I, I just would have mentioned that he's – hey, by the way, Peter, you're 90 yards off the tee box right here. Right, right. Well, okay, guys, let's let's stop and evaluate this for just a second. And and we've all been there. We just don't remember it. We're 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 sitting on our sofas having a, a soft drink or a beer or whatever we're doing and right. we're watching this. We're not in the battle. So we can we think rationally. Uh, need I remind you of all the situations from John Vanderbilt to Mito Pereira uh, to this deal here. When you're in that battle and, and TW you were pretty much and so were you Sam spot on. The caddy is so more, much more important than what he used to be when I played. Um, his job is to bring the player back into reality. Now, <laughs> that sounds real easy, but when the world is spinning at that high a rate, uh, to get back to a common sense mode where even like you guys are talking about, it's it's difficult. I, I'm telling you guys, it's difficult to bring him back. He he was so twisted after that tee shot um, that I, I'm surprised he didn't make worse than triple, to be honest with you. He was a mess. And he's lucky he got out with seven because it could have been – it could have been one of those days where Kevin Nall, you remember when he hit it in San Antonio, hit it down the trees, made like 14 or something <laughs> yeah. on the hole. We so, still don't know what he made. We don't know, but and that's why I say, gentlemen, it can once it kind of spins, starting to go out of control. The caddy must get control of that situation and calm that guy down. And uh, I would tell all of our listeners, when you're out there and if you're nervous, uh, what you need to do is make everything go into slow motion. Try to get your wits about you. Try to get some air into your lungs. Try to get some air into your brain because. Hard for people to understand that. And, you know, I talk to policemen sometimes about when they're in a situation where they're in a shootout and how fast and then how slow everything goes. So it is uh, and not that golf's going to get you shot, but you know what I'm saying? The brain just goes. And uh, poor old Peter, kudos to him. You know what? He, he rallied. He, he came did. back and he finished well. But no doubt. boy, oh boy, oh boy, he he don't like that that tee shot. <laughs> That's for sure. I'll be curious to see if they play again next year. My hope what he does on that hole because it's going to leave some scar tissue. No doubt, and credit to him. By the way, so we're I, I'm kind of criticizing him for that wrong decision. The one shot difference that it probably would have made if he would have gone back to the tee, it really didn't make a difference in the end because after that, he birdied four out of the last six holes and then not only vaulted himself up into second place, which he won $2.125 million, and then he also secured second place for the four aces um, who ended up finishing 17 under, uh, won $1.5 million split four ways uh, for the team as well. So really impressive stuff to kind of bounce back from that triple after the fact. Um, and it turned out that that one shot wouldn't have made a difference. He would have finished second place either way. So that was impressive, right, T-Dub, the, the finish that he had. Oh, 100%. Because let's just say that he, uh, let's just say he pars the last six holes instead of birdies four of them all of a sudden the four aces will finish uh third or finish tied for second as opposed to second alone 
and, and then Peter would have finished. Uh, uh, he would have finished tied for third in the, or he would have finished third in the tournament behind Grace. So yeah, an absolute lot of money was on the line there, and, and just the the resiliency that it shows that he's uh, he's really playing some pretty solid golf, with the exception of a bad tee shot. Because and he even mentioned this too, said he likes to hit a little low fade as his control shot, and the wind is coming off the left to right there. Um, so definitely something that doesn't suit his eye. But I was looking at the uh, the data golf sheet for Peter Uline. I thought this was pretty interesting. And I'd say for both him and Charles Howe, we, we talk about the official world golf rankings and how they're a joke. Uh, Peter Uline is currently ranked 407th in the official world golf rankings. Charles Howe, who just won, is ranked 312th. So just wanted to show that out there to, uh, to just prove our point even more. No doubt about it. And by the way, talking, I, I saw them showing the SI rankings up there. And yeah, at least they include everybody. But I mean, the only thing more egregious than Taylor Gooch being 57 on the SI ranking is Abe Answer being 60th on the SI ranking. It makes no sense. There's not a perfect ranking system right now. Um, last guy I want to talk about of this tournament, by the way, Matthew Wolf ends up finishing uh, tied for seventh in the golf tournament at five under. But last guy I want to talk about, guys, vaulted himself up into a tie for fifth place. That's Cam Smith, uh, the highest finishing captain of this tournament. He shoots four under in the final round, ends up six under for the golf tournament. I saw a lot of good things from Cam Smith that he can take into, you know, uh, in, into the next tournament they play in Tucson um, from that final round. I feel like he really uh, kind of started figuring some things out and some things started clicking in that final round where it was playing tough and he shoots a four under par uh, to finish in the top five of Live Golf Mayakoba teed up. Yeah, he definitely played a lot better in, in the final round than, than he did in the first two rounds, at least from what... I saw, and, and we, we talked about how this was a, a perfect course for Charles Howe. I can't think of a course that may be worse for Cam Smith than this one because, I mean, you just miss it anywhere off the tee box, and you're completely screwed. And that happened on a few times, especially in the first round. How he shot two under in, in the first round with some of the places he hit is an utter miracle. But it just shows that he's still got the game. Maybe some of the things we saw a little bit earlier in the year towards the end of last year were just kind of a little bit of fluke. That tournament down in Australia where he missed the cut because he was out drinking beer with his buddies. And then he missed the cut over at the Saudi International. Kind of maybe read a little bit too much into that because I am starting to see some good things. And he was – I don't know. He was my pick preseason, guys, to win the Masters. Not sure if I'm still going to go on that route with the way that, that Rom and, and and those guys have been playing. Yep. But uh, – I, I think that he's he's definitely got a, a good road ahead of him. And Woody, I expect him to, to keep playing good. I would I would be shocked if uh, I don't know if he'll make the same amount of putts he did last year. But overall, he's going to have a pretty solid year. He's not going away. I mean, it, I think I think the reason he went to live, guys, is he wanted that time to go home and enjoy his time at home. Mm-hmm. And he did. He obviously he did. He wasn't worried about golf. He knows how long this year is. It's just now March 1st, guys, and he's going to round into shape. Uh, D-Dub, don't give up on your master's pick on him yet, but I don't know, gentlemen. (laughs) I just don't – I think he's going to be around for a lot of time, unless, of course, that putter goes south, and then, you know, who wins then, nobody knows. But, um, no, Cam's going to be okay. I think getting all the majors, he's going to – I I wouldn't be surprised if he won another one this year. I just don't know if it'll be the Masters, but I would be surprised if he doesn't win another. 
Guys, I lied. We got to talk about one more guy. And in that final round, DJ was, uh, let's see, he was one under through his first five holes, then goes bogey, bogey on uh, number eight, number nine, which were his, uh, you know, sixth and seventh holes, and then goes bogey double on 13 and 14, and then finishes bogeying three out of his last four holes. I think this was just one of those situations where I know that, you know, he still had the team uh, to kind of, you know, worry about. But DJ doesn't strike me as a guy that cares a whole lot about how the four aces do. I think that it was one of those situations where it got going south and DJ, um, I'm not going to say gave up at all. I, I would never, you know, kind of accuse a player of that. But at the same time, it looked like it started going south for DJ um, and he just didn't have anything to get it back on track during that round. I don't take much stock in what we saw from DJ in that final round. I would not be surprised if he came out at, in Tucson at Live Golf Tucson and, and won that week. I, I, I saw enough good things from DJ this week that in his first start this year, I think that he's going to be just fine, and I wouldn't you know put too much stock into the fact that he didn't play very well in that final round, T-Dub. Well, and even you go back to the end of the second round where he was three over in his last five holes. So what, what is that? That's 10 overs, that's 23 holes. So, I mean, that's with how good he was playing before that, it, it was kind of shocking. But, Woody, it doesn't matter how good you are. If, if you're over it on a difficult golf course, you could shoot a million. And, and I think that's exactly what happened. Do, do I think he gave up? No. But there's a difference between having 100% focus and having, I don't know, 50% focus, 70% focus. There's a lot of different levels there. And I think somewhere there's clearly not 100, 100% focus on on that last round for sure and for whatever reason who knows but uh it ended up not necessarily costing the four aces because uh crushers would have been pretty tough to catch but uh at the end of the day i'm kind of with sam i'm not going to read a whole lot into it. it did look really good at the start the, the, the only reason it would concern me is if he started playing bad because of some injury or something because he did have the back issues that he withdrew from at the saudi international so if something's related to that maybe a little bit concerned but if it was just him mentally being over it i'm not going to read too much into it I don't think he liked that golf course. I, I don't. I don't think he ever played when the tour was down there. No, uh, you're, you're right about it, that. Yep. I, I just don't think he liked the golf course, and I think the only reason why he would have gone there during the tour days is because his wife wanted to go, so she could put on bikinis and strut around. <laughs> um, I just don't think he liked the golf course. I don't. I, I. I think what you guys are saying. I think he got it kind of going a little bit sideways, and he said, "You know what." Uh, Hey, let those guys carry me for once, okay? Uh, you know, I got these three other players. Um, I, I'm a, I'm a checking in. I'm going to go to the house here when this is done, then I'll be ready for Tucson. So, you know, a guy that played good as Dustin Johnson, you know, come on, he, he ain't going anywhere. He'll be back. He, he's fine. No doubt. And guys, that that reminds me of one quick thing that we got wrong on last week's show. This year on Live, they are counting three scores each round. And so it's not the first two in the first two rounds. It's it's actually three guys out of four every single round, not just in the final round um, this year. Uh, yeah, it, talking about DJ, I don't think he necessarily mailed it in, but I do agree that the course didn't fit him very well. It didn't fit guys like Bryson DeChambeau very well. It was an, an interesting stat, T-Dub, and talking about the golf course, that Charles Howell actually had a higher average distance off the tee this week than Bryson DeChambeau, obviously because there was different course management uh, factors that led to that. Um, but I think that there's certain players like a Charles 
Howell that feel more comfortable piping a driver down there and then DJ or, or Bryson DeChambeau are, you know, kind of hitting irons off the tee and not necessarily putting themselves in the primo position, right? 100%. I mean, with some of the places on the on that course where Bryson would try to hit a driver, he would either hit it into the narrowest fairway possible or a non-existent fairway into some jungle. I mean, there's so many holes out there where it is not advantageous for Bryson whenever you're linked to hit a driver. And it's, it's a testament to where if you have a fairly good design golf course on a good piece of property, it doesn't need to be 8,000 yards to make it difficult. I think we saw that here. And, and Woody, I think this is also something that we're going to see going forward with live tournaments because players don't really have a whole lot of flexibility in their schedule. So like DJ and some of these other guys are going to play courses that they don't that doesn't necessarily, necessarily fit their game. And you're going to have people like Charles Howe who suit really good for courses. So I think that's going to be something that, that where the course is being played at, we talk about horses for courses all the time, but I think it's going to have even a little bit more impact on live than even we see on like the PJ tour. Definitely. I, you know, I, I'm going to, I want to branch out just a hair on this with DeChambeau. Did you guys by chance read the article about where he went to Ping to get his new clubs? All that they went through at Ping to try to build, you know, his, his one length golf club. And it, golly, Ping, they're the best. Having <laughs> to put up with all this. <laughs> I mean, I read this. I read this, guys. And, and I was, when I read it, I went, well, what the hell did I just read? I didn't understand one thing they were talking about other than the fact that he liked his overall weight to be a certain amount to care less about swing weights but man this guy if i'm gonna sit down want to drink a beer with somebody it's not going to be him (laughs) i would have a headache so bad even if i didn't have a beer listening to him i mean this you guys, if you can find that article, I don't know where I was reading it, but you need to read it. Because no, I mean, I, I guarantee you I already know what it says, and I haven't even read the article. I mean, we heard it from the Cobra people, how hard he is to deal with and, and how he's trying to find an answer that is feasibly not possible to hit it far and hit it off the toe and off the heel and, and straight all in the same swing. Yeah. Well, congratulations to the Ping, because Ping didn't bash him. They, they said, hey, we're – we're amazed at what he's wanting. We're trying to do the best we can. We'll, they went through all sorts of different heads and everything else, try to come up with the right set makeup and everything else. But my gosh, I would, uh, whoever that guy was that was working with him, the engineer out of thing, bonus, bonus time. He needs a bonus. I couldn't do it, boys. No, no doubt about it. And by the way, he finishes tied for 23rd in the golf tournament, did shoot three under in the final round. We talked about the swing T-Dub with Bryson. To me, when I watched a lot of, I've watched pretty much every single shot of this Live Golf Mayakoba, and whenever they showed Bryson, especially on the greens, now, it's never going to look comfortable with Bryson to an average player, or really to a good player for that matter, on the greens, just because of you know his posture and how he sets up to the golf ball, pretty much straight up and down. But to me, it looked like Bryson was not comfortable on the greens, which is a problem because even though it didn't look comfortable at Wingfoot to the average player, it looked comfortable to him. And so I think that that might be something to look out for this year as well with Bryson. Oh, you're exactly right. Yeah, he's always going to look tense and not like not like he's very comfortable over the ball. But but sometimes that's exactly what he wants to happen. But I, I think for Bryson, he. What used to happen was, at least at Wingfoot when he was playing good, he's just walking around the place with an absolute swagger to him. And you're thinking, man, this guy's going to be pretty tough to beat. 
And, and I don't know if it's from the injuries or from whatever. I just don't see that out of him as much anymore. It just it doesn't seem like that he has that killer instinct that he used to have. Even going back to when he was a, a great amateur at SMU, I mean, he just had that, that look in his eye that seemed like that he was going to win. And for whatever reason, I just don't see that. Maybe it'll come back. Maybe he's working through some things, trying to trust a little bit more. But but to me, Woody, I think some of it has more to do mental than even it does technical at this point with Bryson. Mentally, I think more guys lose it out there between their ears than they lose it with their technical swing thoughts. Um, I, I said this to you last week. I said, he's got a lot to prove to me again. He uh, he chased a rabbit going that long drive ball, even going to those long drive uh, expeditions, exhibitions and all that stuff they do down there. So. That was stupid in my mind. You know, it it was the one thing that I would tell you that I didn't like what Tiger Woods did when he went to train to be a SEAL. Uh, are you kidding me? Do you want to be a Navy SEAL? I, I still say that hurt him. So, no doubt. I think these guys, I think these guys get off on a tangent, and they truly believe they're bulletproof. They can do anything they want, and nothing's going to affect them. But then you know what? We looked down the road, and yeah, I did. So Bryson's got a lot to show me. I, I'm, I was never a big Bryson fan when he started. So it's kind of like my pick last week on the Honda, you know, and it scared me the first round. But then after that, he tanked. So um, I don't care about him really. I, he's got a lot to prove to me that he's going to be back to that world class player. I don't see it. No doubt about it. It will be interesting to see how Bryson DeChambeau plays this season on the Live Golf League. Uh, Guys, speaking of Live Golf, they were on the CW Network on regular TV for the first time. Um, Number one, before we get to some of the ratings and how they might be misleading, what did you guys think of the Live Golf broadcast and, and maybe give a couple thoughts? I thought it was just fine, my personal opinion. I miss it not being on YouTube, but at the end of the day, I thought I expected it to be a little bit more concentrated with commercials. I didn't think there was that many because, like, like last year, they had the cutaways and they were trying to promote the tour and all that, and it was very similar to what, what this was. So I didn't think it was overbearing on that thing. I will say, whenever I would, would try to stream it, the, the camera wasn't extremely clear. I thought it was just my phone, but it seemed like a lot of people were having that problem. So if they do have something wrong with that you need a pretty clear camera because at least whenever i would try to stream it there'd be times where i couldn't even see the uh, the graphics on the side of the leaderboard to see who was up there but uh maybe that maybe that just had more to do with my phone but it seemed like some other people had that problem but at the end of the day i think that the graphics that they've added to are pretty cool with the, the percentage if you miss it left or right and what the strokes gained are from that point i think it's pretty cool i do hope that they implement like full strokes game where it's not just per whole basis on each player That'll be something that, that'll help ShotLink really gives PJ Tour the advantage on, on that side. But at the end of the day, Woody, the, the overall broadcast was, I, in all honesty, maybe it was just my expectations going in, but it was a little bit better than even I thought it would be. Well, it was easier for me to find because I'm old. Uh, you know, the streaming and all that last year, I figured it out before it was all said and done. I think that the ratings, again, it was the first week. It was the first week they got started with this. So I, I still hear so much negative from the media and everybody i mean it's a tough road for live golf gentlemen you just have to remember that 90 percent of the golf media wants live to fail is the thing that's that's the problem that we're still facing no matter what product no matter how that good that product if if their numbers would have been way up they'd have found something to say which uh, how they did it or something bad about it and 
I, 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 if I had one worry, guys, I really do, and I'm worried. I, I, I just, I've seen what the media is capable of. I've seen what they can do in all aspects of our lives, where they can brainwash people literally into not seeing what they're seeing. It, it, it's just mind-boggling to me where we've gotten. So I want them to keep taking the high road. I want them to keep doing what they have to do. I understand that when Greg Norman gets beat up like he is, it's hard for him not to fire back. Um, Sergio Garcia is just an idiot. I don't know what we can do about that. But they need to just play their golf tournaments put the best product they can out there and don't try to get in a, a, a media fight with these guys. Cause you're going to lose. I'm telling you, we're going to lose this live tour if they don't turn around some of the media. Yeah. And he- here's another point that I want to make is if you legitimately watched the majority of this live golf tournament, and you watch the broadcast on the CW, I'm not talking about the ratings. I am talking about the fact that if you watched it and did not enjoy it, then to me, you are really you don't really love the game of golf because it was really entertaining. You had David Faraday coming down the stretch saying that Peter Uline and Taylor Gooch were like watching the Hindenburg and the Titanic crash into each other. You had, you know... Uh, Faraday saying anytime by the way anytime you have David Faraday on a broadcast it's extremely entertaining and like T-Dub said with all the new graphics and all of that you couldn't look at that broadcast and say it was a failure to me and I see these these misleading ratings that we have out there you can find them on Twitter I'm very sure of that but my point is if you watched the the product that they put out there it, it was a great product. And, and after that final round, right, I mean, the ratings are out there, but it's not counting, the, it's only counting the CW in the U.S. It doesn't include any streaming numbers, which a lot of people streamed it. Obviously, T-Dub said that he streamed it, or any of the affiliates in different countries. I can go through that list. It's the CW, DirecTV, 7 Plus, Claro TV, Game TV, uh, Zapping TV, you know, and by the way, the Golf Channel uh, is the is the uh, place to watch live golf in the Czech Republic. We don't see Brandel Chambly boycotting the Golf Channel because they're showing live in the Czech Republic. Um, but and by the way, one thing that people do not realize is the ratings are never going to be good on the CW because Philadelphia, Atlanta, San Francisco, Tampa Bay, Detroit, Seattle, Sacramento, Pittsburgh are not showing live golf on the CW, which means that they are not accruing those points from those major markets because those markets decided not to put live golf on because of the brainwashing Golf Channel and the PGA Tour have done to make this about politics and not about what it's actually about, which is money. And the reason why is because the Golf Channel is directly dependent on the success of the PGA Tour. I've said it over and over and over again, but when we get to ratings, they're very, very misleading. And by the way, Live Golf's app during the golf tournament was the most downloaded sports app over this past week. So I think after what happened this week after the golf tournament talking about ratings, it's going to be impossible to ever get accurate ratings on how many people are actually interested in Live Golf. I feel like that, uh, I mean, I'm pretty plugged into the golf world and a ton of people that I know were watching Live Golf 
when it was live on not just the CW, but streaming it as well, I feel like there's a lot more interest out there than people were trying to make it out to be, you know, be, saying it had worse ratings than world's funniest animals or something like that. That is it, a joke to me. I feel like I am plugged in and I know how many people are watching this stuff and it's more than, you know, they're letting on, T-Dub. I just feel like it's a, a giant lie. That, that was very passionate there, Sam. Very very well said. I think you're uh, you're, <laughs> you're spot on with, with a lot of what you said. And but I, I completely agree with a lot of it. I will say one thing that, that Liv is going to have to do is they're going to have to be able to promote more to the non-golf fan because I feel like people who are actually invested in golf and even people that I know who hate Liv, they actually tuned in and checked out some of the tournament this weekend. So it's, it's starting to attract what I would call the golf fans. But I do think they need to do a little bit better at trying to get the non-golf audience because I feel like if, if you don't actually play golf and you're just wanting entertainment value, it's a lot more entertaining. PJ, you're damn sure a lot more entertaining than the Honda Classic this week. I watched both tournaments Friday and Saturday back-to-back on, on two screens for the, essentially four hours straight. And the live was so much more entertaining, sounding funny. And so I think that, People who have never even played golf before would tune in to, to live to hear Faraday say uh, the, the funny things he does or to see, you know, like whenever they played down here, they showed the little uh, kawachi or whatever the animal was. I mean, just stuff like that is entertaining. And uh, I think that at the end of the day, Woody, if they could just be able to promote the tournaments a little bit better, we also have to agree that this was the end of February. It's not necessarily – we're getting into prime golf season, but we're not necessarily there yet. And there was and no so drama down what, the stretch. There was zero drama down the stretch, and it's not Liv's fault. It was Charles Howell the Third's fault for playing so damn good. Yeah, and it was, and the uh, the team competition wasn't even close too. A lot of times, even if you have a runaway leader, you'll have the team close, but neither one of those were close with. Well, the one thing about this that you guys got to realize is Faraday even said, "Why did he leave the Golf Channel slash NBC? He left because he was afraid he couldn't say what he wanted to anymore." the wokeness or whatever we want to call it. I don't know what you call the deal, but he was so afraid that if he didn't leave, he was going to get fired anyway, that he was going to fire something out there that, that, you know, was going to offend who knows who Sam, you're passionate. And I love it because you're, you, you do understand it, but it's kind of like politics guys. It, and we don't want to talk politics, please, but I'm just trying to use this as an example. Uh, you can have something right in front of a Republicans or a Democrat's face. And if they're really gung-ho one or the other, it doesn't matter, gentlemen. It, it will not matter. You will not change that person's point of view. And that's why I say that we as guys that love golf, we can we can embellish both tours. We can watch golf played in both levels, both leagues, whatever we want to call it, and enjoy it. There are some people that are so brainwashed and so beat down with all the politics going with this Live and PGA Tour, they're just not going to come on board. So we got to get over the fact and just not worry about them anymore. I don't even care about those people anymore. If you really like golf, and these are, I'm challenging our listeners, just do me one favor. Just watch a little bit of it and try to keep an open mind. And if you still don't think it's a good product, okay, fine. I, I get it. Don't worry about it. I'm all good with you, okay? But just give it a shot. Yeah, no doubt about it. Notice how none of the people criticizing it 
have criticized the actual product. They just bring up these ratings that are not necessarily telling the full story. By the way, guys, T-Dub, I want to get your thoughts on this. I also think it's funny that people expect live ratings to be the same as the PGA Tour, which has been a monopoly since the 1920s and has literally been on TV since the 1960s, T-Dub. I mean, that's like a, it's like a 60-year head start, T-Dub. That the, that the PGA Tour has, and all of a sudden, you know, they expect the live ratings that started last year or this year, in this this week, being on regular TV to match what what it has been for since the 1960s on the PGA Tour, accruing and, and growing an audience throughout all of those years. It takes time to grow an audience, and I just I feel like they're kind of you know in a lose lose situation on live trying to compete with PGA Tour ratings. It's never going to happen. Well, and a lot of it just has to do with access at the end of the day, right? I mean, a lot of people, there's barriers to entry on things like YouTube and streaming for a lot of people. And and there's some barriers to entry when it comes to the CW. There's a lot more people that have NBC than the CW. So, I mean, it's, there's a lot that goes into it and all the things you mentioned, too, about having longevity. And at the end of the day, the, the, the ratings are fairly important from a sense of you'd like to see how many people are watching it. But at the end of the day, I'm just looking at the product that's out there and the golf that's being played. And to me, Woody, you compare the two tournaments there this week. I'm not, I'm not going to say that a live tournament is going to be better than a PJ tour elevated event on majority of occasions, but there's no doubt that the, that the, uh, Mayakoba live tournament was better than the Honda this last week. It wasn't even close. That's what I was saying. Let's keep an open mind about this. And, and, Granted, this week's the it's not the Honda, it's the Arnold Palmer invitation with Bay Hill, okay? Well, well, we know that's a big event. And you know what? Sam and T-Dub and Woody are going to watch it, and we're going to enjoy it because it's good golf. The next week, oh, oh, well, okay, then we'll look again. All I want to do when I watch golf as a golfer, I want to watch the best players I can and listen to the most entertaining broadcast I can, okay? Well, this week, it was definitely at Mayakopa. If you don't believe it, that's fine. That's your opinion, but just give it a chance, and you might be surprised. Yeah, and that brings me to the final point I have of all of this is both of these tours keep proving that they can coexist. You have the elevated events that are always going to be better than the live events, and you have the live events that are never competing with any of the elevated events on the PGA Tour other than the first week of the playoffs. So that means that every single time live tees it up, they're going to have a better field and a better product than what the PGA Tour puts out there opposite of what Liv has. And so what I'm saying is it's great, T-Dub, and we've talked a lot about this for the golf fan. The golf fan's going to have the elevated events on the PGA Tour, and when they don't have those, they're going to have Liv events to watch. And if I'm not mistaken, only three different times this year, you're not going to have either an elevated event on the PGA Tour or a Liv event. So that's only three weeks out of the entire year that golf fans don't have a great tournament to watch. And then at the end of all this, or in the middle of all this, you're going to have the best players from the PGA Tour and the best players from Live, at least this year, all meet in the major championships. And we're going to have a giant kumbaya, and then everyone's going to root for who they want to root for. But I get the animosity between players on the PGA Tour and the players on Live. I don't get the animosity between golf fans because this, to me, as a golf fan, is paradise for us, right? 
Oh, it 100% is. We talked about this on the radio show. The first time that we're going to have either a week where we don't have a PJ Tour Elevated event, a major championship, or a live tournament, is the RBC Canadian Open in June, June 8th through the 11th. That is the first time it's not going to happen. And we know a lot of people are going to play the Canadian Open because it's a week before the U.S. Open. And they had a great field last year with Rory and JT up there. Then the other two events that we don't have, uh, one's the Genesis Scottish Open, which everyone's going to play because it's the week before the Open Championship. And then the only week that we don't, that is going to be probably down is the week after the Open Championship, where it's the uh, the 3M Open is the is the tournament that week, and there's not a live tournament that week. So, I mean, Woody, from a golf viewer's perspective, this is the prime example of how these two tours can coexist because we're going to have great golf literally every single week for the entire year. Without doubt. And hopefully, let's just hope that we can coexist and we'll keep this going. Because for the golf fan, this is a win-win. It, it truly is. The people will just get a little smarter about this. It's a win-win. I mean, what we got going on is the best we could do as far as watching great golf every week almost. So, like I said, we got to, you know, check the politics, check all the, the, you know, everything that's negative, and let's try for once in our life to find positives and let's move forward because I think it can coexist. I really do. I do too, guys. Let's get to the Honda Classic, which it was a good product on Sunday. I Like a golf fan, any golf fan should, they should have enjoyed both products. I enjoyed watching the end of the Honda Classic. Chris Kirk gets the job done in a playoff at 14 under with Eric Cole. Now, Eric Cole, Woody, I need your help on this because my dad was pretty adamant um, about this being a big deal, and obviously this was before my time, but Eric Cole is the son of a famous... Uh, two famous pro golf parents. His mother, Laura Ball, was a former star on the LPGA Tour and U.S. Women's Amateur Champion. And Father Bobby Cole uh, was a standout player from South Africa, won the 1977 Buick Open, was one of the you know best putters of all time, apparently. And uh, I guess that Laura Ball was uh, one of the quote-unquote sex symbols of the LPGA Tour back in the day. Tell us a little bit more about Eric Cole and his parents and, and how cool this story is that he's in a playoff now as a rookie on the PGA Tour trying to close out his first victory. I, I was lucky enough that they, you're talking about, you're like my, your dad and me, where that was our era kind of where uh, at, at the time the LPGA Tour, you can't do it now. It, they were they were trying to sell the sex symbols. There was another gal named Jan Stevenson that was uh, really promoted for that. But Laura Ball was just the cutest little light teenager when she came out uh, blonde hair blue eyes um bobby cole was a solid he was he was one of those guys that was fit before it was supposed to be cool okay so he was a solid golfer as far as just all of his game was good but he was a phenomenal putter you're right sam i can't believe that it's taken this kid until he's 34 to be a rookie on the PGA Tour. Uh, I remember him a number of years ago where he was coming out, and I thought, this, this kid's going to make a splash pretty quick. And he didn't. And I don't know why, and no, nobody will ever know why. Um, of course, we've got those pants he wore on the final round. That's a that's a black cloud, dude. We ain't going to have a guy <laughs> win with those short things. 100% win. I mean, I mean, that's. The golf gods are out there, and they're going, now, wait a minute, we're not going to do these jogger pants yet. You can't win in those things. So 
I hope people are taking note of that. Sam Ryder that one week, and now this kid, they they played good, but they're just not going to be allowed to win those pants, okay? Not that I'm bashing the pants. I told you all, I got some the other day. So I think this is, you know, we always talk about when does somebody get their break or when did they get that, that, that shot of confidence? I look for this young man to build on this week. I really, really do. I mean, when you get right down to it, Chris Kirk almost handed it to him on a silver platter. That's Why right. he was going at that pin on that 18th hole with a one-shot <laughs> lead, I had no earthly idea. I'd say he was drunk, but I know he wasn't because I know he's sober now. <laughs> okay, Good Lord, sir. What are you doing shooting at that pin? Uh, so uh, I, I, I thought, you know what? T-Dub said it best. I watched live, and then I watched the end of that golf tournament. You know what? I was watching two different tours and was thoroughly entertained, guys. <laughs> I really enjoyed my golf this weekend. That's, that's great. I wish people would understand that. No doubt. And T-Dub, I want to get to Chris Kirk. Obviously, you know, it's pretty impressive to make that bogey on the par 5 18th and still – you know, have the will to win in that playoff. Most of the time you see guys kind of, you know, give it away and and then they're in the playoff at the end. In the playoff, they do not win the playoff. And Chris Kirk did. Um, And just talk a little bit about Chris Kirk because recently he's been playing some really solid golf. Not only is winning at the Honda last week, um, but before he missed the cut at the Phoenix Open, he finished tied for third at the American Express and third place solo at the Sony Open. Not only is Chris Kirk's story great about how he overcame the alcoholism, but he is really playing the best golf of his career right now, and he's really doing it on the greens. Am I right, T-Dub? Oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, he's in his last five tournaments, he's gained uh, almost more than half a shot on the greens. The only time he didn't was when he missed the cut at the uh, WM Phoenix Open. And it seems like, guys, that he, he's really been playing good ever since going back to last year. He finished fifth at the at Bay Hill, which is tournament this week. He finished fifth at Southern Hills, ironically, one of the more undercover top fives you'll ever see. Uh, I didn't even realize uh, Chris Kirk was in the field until he's walking up the third to last final group or something in the tournament. I was like, oh, man, he's playing pretty good. Uh, so, I mean, he's just kind of a little bit sneaky player like that. And as you mentioned earlier, Sam, two, two top threes in his last three starts. I mean, and a lot of people had thought that he was going to have a good week this week, and sure enough, he did. But, I mean, Woody's exactly right. I mean, I, I want to assume that he was aiming at the left side of the green. He just pushed it. I would hope so because that's not a flag that you would aim at with an eight iron, let alone with a three wood. So a little bit there, but I will say a lot of minerals it took to hit his drive where he did essentially right behind the palm tree. And then he had to punch it out in the middle. There a really good layup in all honesty. And then his next wedge shot to a foot essentially tap in. And uh, uh, Cole was in an extremely tough bunker shot. Wasn't able to do it. But, but Cole had, had his opportunity on the 72nd hole. He had a pretty straightforward chip. Just had a lot of green to work with. And he just absolutely smoked it across the green. Didn't even keep it on the green. It was closer to going in the water than it was being uh, close to the hole. So a little bit of nerves took place there probably. But at the end of the day, if it wasn't for the, the finish and a little bit of drama that came down, this tournament really wouldn't have been a whole lot, even though, which is a shame because uh, PJ National, especially the Bear Trap, the finishing, is a really good stretch of golf holes. Do you have any stats on how the Bear Trap played this week, T-Dub? So, as you would expect, the Bear Trap played pretty difficult. 15 played on, on the final round, it played .23 over par, 16 played .14 over par, and 17 played uh, .2 over par. So, yeah, fairly difficult stretch there. The only day that, the, uh, that any of the holes on the Bear Trap played under par was in the second round, and it played only .09 under par on 15 
So a lot of that probably just had to do with pin location and maybe the wind wasn't blowing as hard, especially in the morning. So, but I will say one change that has made the uh, the bear trap a little bit easier was they took the bunker out on the right side of the fairway on 16. I'm not exactly sure why they did it, but it was just, it, it used to make that shot a lot harder because now you can hit it over there into the rough and catch a pretty good line. I saw a lot of players over there and not have as much trouble as they used to. So I don't know, Woody, I, I, I think that that little bit of change makes that bear trap a little bit easier, but still when you have those tough par threes, it's uh, it, you just want to get through those holes. If you can get through those holes at even par, you have a great chance of being contending in the tournament. Yeah, we didn't see many twos, did we? Uh, I thought it was funny, though, guys, and I can kind of relate to this a little bit. I'll tell you a funny story about when Chris Kirk, in the playoffs, wasn't able to go for the green in twos, I kind of thought that worked out good for him. And I can relate a little bit because I was close to winning a PGA Tour event in Canada, and we were playing at Glen Abbey, the 18th hole, and I drove the ball just a little too far left where I couldn't get a full stance to go at the green in two, which it's it, it's a difficult shot unless you're Tiger Woods. You can hit six iron from 240 out of a fairway bunker. <laughs> to the back. For Woody, it wasn't that easy. Okay, so what it allowed me to do, though, is I had to lay up. And then I hit a wedge in there about five feet and made the putt for birdie. Now, just so happened I was playing against a guy named Wayne Levy, and he birdied the hole two, and I didn't win. But I think I was better off laying up is my point and then having a wedge in my hand. And obviously, it's easy for me to say it now because we see what Chris Kirk did. But after he'd already hit one in the water earlier, I just don't know that that was going to be the best time for him to try to go for that green again. I know that doesn't make sense to a lot of people listening, but I swear to you, in his mind, I think he won the golf tournament because he had to lay up. Yeah, I, I think that's a really good point there, Woody. And I would also, I mean, it would take forever to find out this stat, but I think that Chris Kirk has to be one of the few guys to ever play the bear trap at one under and then bogey the final hole to to go back into a playoff, right? I mean, it's almost like you got the hard job done and then kind of let your foot off the brake a little bit. Do you think any of that happened with uh, Chris Kirk, T-Dub? I very well could have. I think that you have to you have to focus so intensely on those tough structure holes that the the 18th hole, which was played as one of the easiest of the week, you would expect that that yeah you might like so. But it's the 72nd hole of a tournament. You know what you have to do. Right. So no, I, I don't. So I'm not you would, saying you would, that he was relaxed. That. I'm just saying that you know in his mind, oh, I got through the bear trap. Now let's just finish this off. I'm I'm not saying he was necessarily relaxed because it obviously was the second 72nd hole of the tournament. I would just want to know what he was what he was thinking on that second shot. I think he, him and his caddy were talking about they were looking at the, the 18 on, on one of the towers and all that. And so from, from the vantage point of what I saw, it looked like he was aiming close to the middle of the green. And that's not a position I would have been trying to be aiming with, with that. And then he just made a loose swing on top of it. He's normally a draw player, so he just came a little bit underneath it and didn't, wasn't able to rotate the face over, so the face was really open whenever it came through, which led to that block. But at the end of the day, just being able to resiliency to come back, but also too, if Cole was able to get up and down on the seventy-second hole, or if he had just been able to uh, maybe not leave his ball in the bunker like he did on fifteen, the par three, then he would have had a little bit more pressure on things. Could have been a lot different, but that is some of the things is what he was alluding to that you get when you have a little bit of an experience. And Chris Kirk was able to prevail, I believe, because he had been there numerous times before this. No doubt about it, guys. Last guy we got to talk about, T-Dub, our man. We didn't jinx him. Shane Lowry finishes top five, tied for fifth at nine under for the golf tournament. Solid one-and-done pick, T-Dub. Good job. 
I, it wasn't half bad. And these uh, these ele- these non elevated events, if you don't uh, get someone who's up there pretty good, it, it's going to make your your life pretty rough sledding. So, but at the end of the day, it was pretty solid. Wish you could have had a little bit better stuff yep. in the final round. He only shot what one or two under something like that. So, didn't really wasn't able to put he a did, whole lot of pressure. He did par the last six holes, which isn't necessarily easy to do though, and to finish top five. No, no, that's very true. And you know, he was able to. He did lose point two seven on the greens this week, and that's what he's. Not good for putting for did gain over uh, gained over a shot at point two four approach to green. So it was in his irons and off the teams gained a lot of shots too. So but yeah, he only shot even in the final round. If he would have been able to uh, to make one more birdie, he would have got up to a T four, which doesn't sound a whole different than T five. But there was five people who, who tied for fifth, and while it was a solo four, so if he could have made two more birdies, it would have been a solo four. So wouldn't have been as much money difference as an elevated event. But at the end of the day, I'm just glad uh, Woody's one and done pick didn't do good because it, on Thursday it was looking pretty rough. Five under, it looked like he was going to win wire to wire, Woody. Billy Horschel. Yeah, I, I got to tell you guys, that was sickening when I pulled up on my phone. I thought, well, I'm going to see who's leading the golf tournament. <laughs> and it's Billy Horschel. And I went, are you kidding me? I, I, I honestly didn't want to win, gentlemen. I did not want to win. And luckily for me, <laughs> he, he went back and we, we're all good. We're all good. So, you know, I'm really going to be disappointed if he'd won that golf tournament. That's right. That's right. Uh, he, he finished 42nd for clarification. 42nd. That's right. Uh, I did have two guys that I do sports talk radio with here in Oklahoma City ask me the same question over this past week. And I want to get your guys' thoughts on it. Um, T-Dub, I'll start with you. They asked me, why aren't these top names playing in the Honda Classic this year? And I basically had to explain to them that they're basically only going to play in these elevated events. So my question to you, T-Dub, is, is this a good thing for the PGA Tour? Now, I know they had to do it to keep some of these guys and, and you know compensate these guys, especially the top guys on the PGA Tour, but is it a good thing that you have you know people who follow sports and golf casually asking, why are there no big names on these other weeks? Well, they're going to have to come up with something over, over the course of the offseason and get the sponsorship rotation to where every tournament, in at least the course of a four-year span, is going to be an elevated event. That's just absolutely going to have to happen. But there was a change that came out this morning, guys, that is going to make these elevated events a lot more controversial, in my opinion. Starting next year, they're going to have only 70 to 78 player fields and no cuts. So you're, you're, ta- you're going to be taking out over 50 players who have a chance to move up. It's going to make the tour even more top-heavy than it already is. So the elevated events are not so bad. I think that, you're like I mentioned earlier, they, they have to get the sponsorships right because people like the Honda or these other people who have never been elevated events and even shown the best fields are going to say, well, how come these other tournaments are getting it while we aren't? But th- this change that came out this morning, Woody, of there not being any cuts and being a smaller field starting next year in these elevated events, I'm not a big fan of that one bit. Where have I heard that before, Woody? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we've talked about this, and, and that's, that's where we're going with this deal. And back in the day, guys, there was only 60 exempt players on the PGA Tour. Everybody else was a qualifier. Okay, so it we knew all along because I was told on more than one occasion I didn't matter when I was out there playing. There's only a few guys that matter, and you're not one, Woody. And I go, oh, okay, I get it. Uh, and and they didn't problem <laughs> tell me that. So um, I think I think this is again, is it good for the game? Oh man, there's there's a million ways you can turn this uh, this thing, and I oh uh, I think. 
what we're all going to find when this dust finally settles is the tour is going to go back to a much smaller amount of exempt guys. They're going to highlight the stars, and they really aren't going to worry about the Chris Kirks or the Eric Coles um, being on the tour. I mean, there's going to be a tour for them. They're going to make money. They're going to make a living playing golf. But they're not going to sell tickets because they know we have no Tiger Woods in the office. There's nobody coming up, guys, that's Tiger. And so what is the best chance you got? You put all those really strong players all together every week where somebody gets used to seeing them. We got used to seeing Tiger. Why? Because he won every freaking week. Jiminy Christmas. <laughs> the guy was a stud. The only way you can get name recognition is you got to get them out there every week, uh, same guys over and over again. So, um, is it good? Nah, um, I don't know. The jury's still out. How about that? Jury's definitely still out. It's going to be interesting to see how the 78 player fields with no cut, uh, how that argument goes from the PGA Tour side, how they should get official world golf ranking points. It's also going to be interesting to see, guys. Last point here, then we'll move on to Bay Hill. Is It's going to be interesting to see if sponsors like Honda want to keep sponsoring tournaments where nobody is playing as far as the top guys, right, Tito? Oh, yeah, it's absolutely what, what I've been claiming for this whole time. It's just that, well, why would you at the end of the day? I mean, at this Honda Classic, but the fact, besides the fact it was on a good golf course or a challenging golf course, it was a glorified corn fairy event is what it was, and that's what's going to happen in these other events. And, you know, just to clarify, I don't mind if you have a few tournaments that, that are limited fields and, and no cuts. That's not the problem of it. The problem of it with me is, the PJ Tour, when it's been going against Liv, has been clamoring for you build your way, you build your success. And if you're given less opportunities to compete at the top level, then you have less chance to move up. So it's becoming more of a two-tiered system, which a lot of people have been criticizing. And it's really it's becoming evidence that that's going to happen at the end of the day. And will, will these sponsors keep signing on? The price tag is going to have to be a lot lower. That's going to be a thing. There's going to be negotiations that are going to have to be done. But at the same time, the, the sponsors of the other elevated events are going to have to pay more, you would think. So maybe that'll, that'll counteract it. I'm, I'm not sure. But at the end of the day, the PJ Tour has a, a few more things on its deal with its lower-end sponsors than I think that a lot of people are giving it credit for. Woody, speaking of sponsors, you know who I saw on the CW Network every time Liv cut to commercial? That's our friends at Quail Creek Bank. Woody, tell us about our friends at Quail Creek Bank. I told you guys all along that Quail Creek Bank is the bank for you. It's the bank for everybody. It, you talk about guys that love golf. Quail Creek Bank advertises more as far as golf goes than anybody I know. So the reason why is they're so friendly. That, that, that whole bank is nothing but great people. Everywhere you go, from the president of the bank to the owner of the bank to the tellers at the bank, they're all the friendliest people I've ever met. If your bank, when you go to it, you don't feel like they really even want to help you, well, do me a favor. Go to Quail Creek. They'll bend over backwards for you. They'll make you happy that you came, and you'll have a new bank before you know it. Quail Creek Bank, located right there on 122nd and North Main. Give them a shot. You won't be let down. 
Quail Creek Bank, the best bank in Oklahoma City. We'll be back right after this short break here on the 73rd hole. And after the break, we got a lot to get into. We had the Oklahoma Golf Hall of Fame uh, nominees announced. And then we also had OU in action. And we'll get to our Bay Hill preview here on the 73rd hole, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. When something the size of a golf ball hits your roof, you need to call McRae Roofing. McRae Roofing is Oklahoma's designer roofing service specialist. For years, Jeff McRae and the experienced team at McRae Roofing and Exteriors have served fellow Oklahomans by helping them with their roofing needs. McRae Roofing uses only top quality materials and professional crews to make sure that each job is done right so it will give you the years of service, security, and protection you need from the unpredictable Oklahoma weather. McRae Roofing offers residential and commercial roofing, ventilation services, and custom copper designs. McRae Roofing is dedicated to exceeding the homeowner's expectations. It's not just a roof, it is your home's crowning glory. Call McRae Roofing today at 405-692-4000. That's 405-692-4000. Make sure to also visit their website at McRaeRoofing.com. That's M-C-R-A-Y Roofing.com. Don't get caught with a leaking roof. Contact McRae Roofing for your free inspection today. And we are back here on the other side of the break here on the 73rd Hole Podcast, the official podcast of golf. Oklahoma, Sam Humphreys, Taylor Williams, Jim Woodward with you as always. And guys, we had the Oklahoma Golf Hall of Fame members announced that will be inducted later on this year in Tulsa. And great, great uh, members selected this year. Stacy Prominasu of Enid, Ron Streck of Tulsa, Mike Hewitt of Owasso, Bo Winninger of Commerce, and Guthrie, and then Maury Rose of Shawnee. Woody, what are your thoughts on these five members? I think that all are extremely deserving of the Hall of Fame induction. Well, for me, it, the Hall of Fame is, kind of more up my alley than it is you guys you're too young to know who most of these people even are but when i look at who they pick and and that what i love about our hall of fame since ever dobson really got involved in it and and of course kim mcleod's big into this um what i really like about it now sam is they cover all levels from from maury rose who was such a stellar advocate for junior golf and, and really built junior golf in Oklahoma. And then you go to Ron Streck, who is a former another former tour player. Um uh Stacy who was an uh, unbelievable Tulsa. Uh, so uh we go we cover so many different facets of our state golfers, which I think that's what's the greatest thing about this organization, what they're doing. I uh, you know I I'm happy for everyone they picked. I think they're all great picks. And uh, I look forward to watching that this year. No, it's going to be really interesting. You you can go to golfoklahoma.org and read a great story on that. We'll also have, uh, hopefully, a couple of these five inductees for 2023 right here on the 73rd Hole Podcast. Stay tuned to catch that. Uh, T-Dub, one more thing you can catch on golfoklahoma.org is some great articles 
on college golf and the Sooners were in action like we talked about with Ryan Hibble last week they were in action in Las Vegas and the Sooners I mean they got off to a little bit of a rocky start um, but then rallied and shot nine under as a team in the final round to finish top five of the Southern Highlands Collegiate. Illinois ends up winning at 21 under. Mike Small, one of the greatest coaches in college golf. Texas ends up finishing second in that golf tournament. Brian Stark was the one man, but he ends up finishing tied for 22nd. Um, Christian Moss was the one for Texas that really got the job done, shooting 66, 69, 71. What are some other key details you saw from the Southern Highlands Collegiate out in Las Vegas, T-Dub? Well, it ended up being just an absolutely loaded field. According to the golf stat rankings, eight of the top 16 teams were playing and finished in the top eight. So, I mean, it was just absolutely loaded. And, oh, you did finish fifth. It's going to look like they finished a little bit down. But they were, they were only six shots out of first. Over the course of three rounds, that's not very much. And I think that one thing that's interesting, we actually talked a little bit with Ryan Hill about this last week, another situation where an individual plays a little bit better than people on the team. Jay Stummy playing as an individual, finished minus five, T15, which would have been third out of everyone on the team behind Patrick Rolls, who finished ninth, and Andrew Goodman, who finished 12th. So I think that, Woody, that's something that you have a consequence of when you have a great team. You're just taking individuals. And times it's going to happen, but it is interesting that it's happened two times in a row, and if they keep taking individuals to other tournaments going forward, it's going to make it. It's going to make it fairly difficult decision for for Ryan Hibble going into the regionals and national championship and even conference championship time. But at the end of the day, it's such a fine line. It just shows how deep college golf is when you have uh, five teams there within six shots and all had a chance to win. North Carolina, our our favorites to win the national championship, they just had an absolutely horrible final round shot plus four as a team. Something you don't expect for them. Look like they have the tournament in control for a lot of the time. So I don't know what it, I, I saw a lot of things this week, but at the end of the day, we, we're just going to have to wait and see what happens at the uh, later times, but it's still entertaining to see uh, the progress the teams make uh, on the road to the championship. Well, it's unrealistic to think that you only have five guys on your team. You, you've got to have, you know, seven, eight guys. There's got to be competition. You got to figure out who's the guy, who's the horse for the course. It's, it's just March 1st, you know, and, and, I said it last week, uh, you know, the more I am around Coach Hibble, the more impressed I am with what he is as a coach down there and what he's capable of. So if you think I'm going to sit in this armchair quarterback and tell him what to do, <laughs> you're nuts. I, I trust Hibble. I think Coach Hibble knows what he's going to do, and he'll, he'll figure it out long before we get to regionals in the NCAA tournament. No doubt about it. And we'll also, like you guys mentioned, this is the first tournament of the spring. First time a lot of these teams are in action. And I think that players like Sam Bennett for Texas A&M, who finished tied for 28th in the golf tournament, he's obviously going to have better weeks. You mentioned North Carolina, T-Dub. They have the top, the big three of David Ford, Austin Greaser, and Dylan Minetti. Now, Dylan Minetti shot a 79 after shooting a 68 um, in the second round. And so, to me, I think that you know North Carolina, while they have that big three, they got to get better play from uh, Peter Fountain and, and, and Ryan Burnett. And so, I, I think that you know, while I think that Minetti and Greaser and Ford will play better golf in the future, you're still going to have to get some consistently good play in case one of those guys does throw out like a 79 or something like that. It's going to be really interesting to see, even though I do think North Carolina is still the favorites to win the national championship, T-Dub. 
Well, you, you just have to look at it as they're essentially, it's like a chain, right? And if you have a missing link or a weak link, it's going to, it's going to make the whole thing dysfunctional. And that's unfortunately what happened a little bit with North Carolina. Dylan Minetti, one of the best amateurs in the world, finished 53rd. That's something that you don't expect to happen very often. And maybe there's a little bit of, a little bit of comfort, too much comfort when it comes to North Carolina, because they are the, at least in my opinion, a lot of people's opinion, by far the best team on paper, but, as we mentioned, we're going to have what three more months till till NCAA nationals. I mean, half these players could decide to quit golf before then. So there's just so much time <laughs> that that transpires, and so many things can happen. So at the end of the day, it's like I said, it's nice to see the journey for them, and it's very entertaining for us along the way. But there's there's not a whole lot of relevance, in my opinion, between Illinois beating Oklahoma by six shots in a tournament at the end of February. No doubt. And then we do have to mention Pepperdine, who finished third in the golf tournament. William Mao and Derek Hitchner, I feel like, have been in college for like 20 years. I feel like we've been watching them at Pepperdine forever, but they do go head-to-head. They were playing with Oklahoma in the first two rounds, and... I mean, they went head-to-head with them, and they finished third, and Oklahoma finishes fifth. So that's maybe some bulletin board material for the Sooners headed into the rest of the spring. Uh, guys, it's Bay Hill week, Arnold Palmer week. And, what do you, I mean, I got to ask you, do you have any Arnold Palmer stories for us to start off Bay Hill? Oh, jeez. Um, you know, I always, I've always said that Arnold Palmer's the king. He was the most... Uh, influential person as far as when I looked at golf growing up. I'll tell you one quick one that I was out at uh, Quail Creek and it was in the uh, 80s when the Champions Tour was just getting started. They called it the Senior Tour at that point. Um, I'd never met Arnold Palmer before this. Now, I did get to see him again when I played at Bay Hill, but this was probably the early 80s, mid-80s when I was uh, just kind of coming back to Oklahoma, uh, getting ready to start playing some golf. And uh, I had a picture that I had bought, a big picture in a frame of Arnold uh, swinging a golf club. So I took it up to Quail Creek and went into the locker room, got in the locker room. Larry Fryer got me in the locker room. I still thank you to this day. Uh, And I walked up to Arnold Palmer and I said Mr. Palmer I do not want to interrupt your day and I'm sorry but I've had this picture since I was you know 25 years old and I really want you to sign this for me if you could and he looked at me and he gave me that wink and he just gave me a little smile and he said give me that and he signed this picture and uh, he said that's that's one of the best ones I've ever seen and uh, I said, well, thank you, sir. It's going to mean a lot more with your signature on it. <laughs> and he goes, uh, anytime. And I mean, you know, I just melted. I He he was just that. He, he, you guys, I, I wish you could have met Arnold Palmer. I wish you could have shook his hand and felt that knit that he had for a hand that when he grabbed it and he'd look you right in the eye. Well, I'll tell you what. And uh, he, he was the best. I even reminded him of that story when I saw him get at Bay Hill and I walked up and introduced myself again. I said, I don't know. And he, you know, he kind of nodded like, yeah, I think I, you know, I know he didn't remember it, but to me, it meant the world. That is awesome. And you hear so many stories about Arnold Palmer and doing just that. He was the king, not just of golf, but really the king of the sports world back when he played. And his name is still on the Bay Hill 
tournament for the PGA Tour, the Arnold Palmer Invitational. And this week, T-Dub, we have a stacked field again, another elevated event here on the PGA Tour. My question every week, T-Dub, does the winner come out of John Rahm, Scotty Scheffler, or Rory McIlroy, who are your top three favorites heavily this week? I think they're probably going to lead towards those three, in all honesty, just from what we've seen over the last few weeks. I mean, they've just been playing so exceptionally well. Scheffler won at Waste Management. Rom, we all know the stretch that he's been on. And Rory, you got to expect him to turn around. This is a course that he's traditionally played well in the past. So I'll probably go with, with those three, in all honesty. And one thing I want to make, make make be clear before we get off this point, we were talking earlier about sponsorships changing and certain tournaments would be elevated events and some not. There should not be one year that P.J. Tour has elevated events and Bay Hill is not one for exactly all the reasons that were mentioned before with how great Arnold Palmer and all the things he's done for the game of golf. So his Jack tournament, the select events, should always be elevated. If that ever changed, it would be an absolute travesty. But to answer your question, Sam, I think I'm going to go with those three, even though it is an elevated event. We have so many great players in the game of golf. I can't wait to watch it because very similar to kind of like PJ National last week. It's one of the more difficult courses they play. Some of the most gnarly rough you'll ever see. And I expect that over the past history, it's been the drivers of the golf ball that, that really do well. And Rom Scheffler and, uh, and Rory are definitely those three. So yeah, I, I would have to answer the question with going those three. No doubt about it. And guys, I want to get into this little debate real quick before we get to Bay Hill. Uh, John Rom was asked, uh, over this, I think it was yesterday morning when he was doing his press conference for the Arnold Palmer Invitational. When you were clicking on all cylinders, can anyone beat you in your mind? John Rom's answer was simple. He said, no. And then we saw even Taylor Gooch, who is a star on the Live Golf Tour. He said, Rom, DJ, Rory, this is facts. The order is opinion. Everyone else is chasing when clicking on all cylinders, guys. Do you agree with Taylor that no one else is in that list, that it's just Rom, DJ, and Rory, or would you throw Scheffler in that list, Woody? I think you got to include Scheffler. You know, I, I I don't know how you can't include Scheffler because when he looks like he's on, he's as good as they get. But I don't think there's any one of those guys, Sam, if you ask every one of them that question, when you're on, can anybody beat you? If you didn't get a no out of the top ten players in the world, I would be really, 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 really surprised. Uh, that's that's called confidence, and they that they got that because they beat everybody. I, I think 100% Scheffler belongs in that list. So look at the the toward run that he went on at the really essentially this time last year. Whenever he just came on the world, he proved that over the course of a duration of time, he can be by far the best player in the world, which is what he was, and he validated that by just not winning big tournaments, but then winning a major championship. And he's contended very well in a lot of tournaments. Really hasn't won as much as we thought he would. He he didn't win between the, the WM Phoenix Open and the Masters, but he had a lot of top three, a lot, top, a lot of seconds and thirds in there. Only had a couple of missed cuts. So, yeah, I, I think that, that Sheffler definitely belongs in that list. And in all honesty, as, as great as DJ is at his top, his volatility can, can be a lot higher, in my opinion, than Scheffler. So, I mean, if we're talking at your best, then, then the, definitely in that discussion, Scheffler should be there, no doubt. I tend to agree with you guys, but I get the sentiment that Taylor Gooch was trying to make with Rom, DJ, and Rory. Clicking on all cylinders is such a you know fantasy land type of thing because it only happens every so often. I think that DJ probably over the course of his career has clicked on more clicked on all cylinders more than a guy like Rory, um, and especially Rom since he's a little little bit younger. But as far as this question goes, guys, I may have a little bit more of a hot. Take. 
I think it's Rom, and then a giant gap, and then everybody else. I think that if Rom is clicking on all cylinders, nobody in the world is beating John Rom. And this week, like I said, we have a great field at the Bay Hill uh, Arnold Palmer Invitational, guys, and not just those three guys at the top. Obviously, John Rom, Scotty Scheffler, and Rory McIlroy are going to be your favorites, but. When you look at it, you also have guys like Cantlay and Shoffley who haven't really played at Bay Hill that much in their career. You have Colin Morikawa, Tony Finau, Will Zalatoris, Max Homa, Sung J M, who is the, the Florida king. He seems to always play great when we have the Florida swing. And then Justin Thomas and Jason Day round out your top 10. So, guys, I mean, to me, if I'm answering the question that I asked T-Dub, does the winner come out of those top three? Probably yes, but if they're not like like we're talking about clicking on all cylinders, there that brings a whole world of players into this golf tournament. What what are a couple names you like this week, T Dub? Man, it's just once again it's another consequence of these elevated events. Just an absolutely loaded fields. Uh, the the analytics are pretty hot on Patrick Cantlay. He's been playing pretty well. I have him in my DraftKings lineup. He finished third at the Genesis, so I expect him to do well. Uh, Zalatoris, I think, is, is a prime mate for this course. You're going to have to hit fairways, and you have to be good into the green. So I expect him to play good. Then you also have guys, drivers of the ball, like Cameron Young, who who I expect to have a pretty good streak. He actually finished 13th in this tournament last year. So I expect him to do pretty well. And then another guy that's in my DraftKings lineup that uh, I'm actually pretty shocked that I'm doing this. But I, he's been playing really good, and I'm to go with it. Well, Ricky Fowler, man, has been playing some good golf, and he's been played really good at Bay Hill as well. In his uh, 10 appearances at this course, he's only missed a cut one time. And over the course of his last five events, he's gained uh, strokes approach to green. So, I mean, I, I, I don't know. Woody, what do you think? Is, is this a week that Ricky can show out and uh, maybe start a little bit more form? Because three straight top 20 is pretty impressive in these big events. I think it's pretty cool that you're finally starting to come on board with Sam and I. This year. <laughs> a little bit. I, I couldn't believe it myself, Woody. I, I, I still can't, honestly. I, I don't know. I, the first two guys you named were the the two that I I keep going to. If if you don't go with those top three, I think Cantley and Zalatoris. Uh, I think Zalatoris might surprise everybody this week, but I think it's funny. You know, when we're talking about hitting on all cylinders, I don't know of any golfer that does it all the time so i'm not sure when rom's gonna get a bad tank of gas but uh he's gonna his cylinders are gonna clog at some point boys nobody runs like that for any length of time without having a hiccup so um you know those three are awful tough but i i'm i'm gonna go with uh somebody different on my one and done this week guys to me i I gotta ask you t-dub does it worry you at all that Patrick Cantlay has never played at Bay Hill in his professional career. It does a little bit, and and that's going to be another thing from these elevated events. Guys are going to play tournaments that they normally haven't, which is kind of shocking to me that, that Cantlay's almost 31 years old and been on the turf for numerous years. A FedEx Cup champion in the past, and he's never played Bay Hill. It's kind of weird to me. Maybe it's just a scheduling conflict, whatever it may be, but he's just shown such such good form at, at his last tournament. Didn't miss the cut at the WM Phoenix Open, which was a little bit of a worry. But look, look good last week at Riviera. That is a course that he's played well. And, uh, I mean, like I said, I, I still pick those three, uh, the, the, the top three, Scheffler, Rory, and Rom to win. But but Cantley would be down there in my in my second tier of guys. And uh, I think that the handful of guys you could alternate ahead of him may be up there, but he would definitely not fall worse than my probably seventh pick. 
T-Dub, I think you can find some really solid value like we can every single week on these elevated PGA Tour events because the, the top of the field is so loaded, but I really do think there's a few guys that have a legitimate chance to win this golf tournament. One of them will be my one-and-done pick. That's Jason Day. Now, it might he might be going a little bit under the radar, but recently at the Genesis, he finished tied for ninth. At the Phoenix Open, he finished fifth. At the Farmers, he finished tied for seventh. And at the American Express, he finished tied for 18th. And in every single one of those tournaments, he gained over a full shot per round on the field putting. And so I think that if he can continue to roll the rock like that, he's won at Bay Hill before. So clearly he has, you know, some good memories on those greens. I am going with Jason Day this week. As my one-and-done pick for Bay Hill, give me Jason Day to win the golf tournament, T-Dub. To win the tournament? Wow, very, very impressive pick there. Um, and I will say Jason Day is playing the best golf that he's played in quite some time. Currently on the Data Golf Analytic Rankings, he's 14th in the world, which is not quite as good as he was back in 2015 when he was lighting the world on fire. But he does have uh, four straight top 18s, and his last three terms, he hasn't finished worse than ninth in, in elevated events with the exception of Torrey, but he finished seventh there. So, yeah, pretty good pick. I Actually, he was my second guy that I thought about picking. But I'm going to go with the guy who I think that, like I said, I picked those other, the dominant three to win, but I think this is the guy who will finish top five and hopefully get me a little bit of money. That's Will Zalatoris. I, I alluded to him earlier. He's just hitting the hitting his iron so great. We worried about the, the back injuries. Hopefully it looks like there's no real issues there. And the thing that's really made me encouraged is that over his last four tournaments, He's gained strokes, gained putting. And, and all of those, it's not just a little bit. He's gaining a half a shot or more putting in those four events. So, And one thing that's interesting is that he's played pretty good at this course in the past. He finished 10th in his first appearance here. He finished 38th the year before, but that's because he shot 84 or something like that in the final round. I believe he was top 15 going into that final round. So, of course, that he seemed to like in the past on a little bit relative good form. So give me a Will Zalatoris, Woody, an elevated event. Hopefully can uh, maybe prove me wrong and uh, elude one of those top three from their uh, mantle. Yeah, it's funny because you and I are almost the same page this week. Um, I want to do that Salatoris too, and and the reason why I might not is I'd like to save him for a major because the, the the little sun gun's pretty good when the majors comes around. But I think this tournament has a lot of uh, history to it, and I think guys really want to win this. They love to win this one in Jack's tournament in Deerfield Village. I'm gonna have to agree with you this week, though. I'm going with Will Zalatoris. I think he could win this week. Yeah. Guys, we talk about those top three favorites. To me, I think the biggest favorites this week are really only two guys. It's John Rahm and Scotty Scheffler. Reason why I wouldn't put Rory on that list is the last two times we've seen him tee it up. He finished tied for 29th at the Genesis and then at the Phoenix Open tied for 32nd. Now, look, in those two weeks, he lost basically almost a full shot at the Phoenix Open and over a full shot on the greens per round at both of those events, which means he's not putting very well. Do you look for Rory to have a bounce back week or do you look to maybe see him struggle on the greens and maybe that's the reason why he's not in contention on Sunday in the final round, T-Dub? I expect him to have a bounce back week, personally. Going in those last two events, as you mentioned, the putting was absolutely horrible and he finished 32nd and 29th, respectively, nowhere close to what he'd been doing before that, but I just look at his history at this course, guys. He's played Bay Hill eight times. His worst finish is 27th. The last, uh, what is that, six years, he's finished no worse than 13th, one back here in 2018. So 
I think he's just getting on the course that he likes. It's similar to what you guys were mentioning earlier, a lot of historical value at this tournament. I think Rory appreciates that and wants to win at, at a place that, like uh, like at Arnold Palmer's place. And uh, I, that's one of the reasons why I picked those top three, because Rahm and, and Scheffler are playing so good. But, but Rory just absolutely loves this place. So, yeah, Sam, I, I do expect – I'm a little bit more optimistic on Rory than you are. I do expect a, a bounce-back week from him. You can get John Rahm in Vegas at plus 700, Rory McIlroy at plus – uh, 950, then Scotty Scheffler at plus 1100. Then there's a big drop off to Max Home at plus 1900. You can get my pick, Jason Day, at plus 3100, tied with Victor Hovland down there. Um, Will Zalatoris plus 2400. Those are some of your best bets. Woody, who are you going with to win the golf tournament this week? I'm going to go with Will Zalatoris. I, 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 I don't want to use him, but I'm going to use him because I think, I think he's due. I think he's ready to win a golf tournament. I agree, and his back looks like uh, everything is the same as before uh, the back injury last year. Um, to me, Will Zalatoris is the best ball striker, most consistent ball striker on the PGA Tour, and at a course like Bay Hill, you can't, you know, I, I can't say that that's a bad pick because of the great ball striking. Justin Thomas, T-Dub is the last, really Justin Thomas and Colin Morikawa, last two guys I want to talk about because Colin Morikawa, the course doesn't necessarily set up great for him, um, but he is up there in the top six favorites. Justin Thomas, I feel like the course should set up great for him, uh, but why isn't he up there with guys like, uh, you know, Max Homa and Scotty Scheffler and Rory? I think for JT, he's I'm crazy looking this up. He's only played here one time back in 2015. He finished 49th. Is that so right? Definitely That's no crazy. It, it, we talked about the same thing with Liv, how those guys are going to have to play in those events on courses they might not like. We didn't necessarily mention that it's going to have to happen uh, for these elevated PGA Tour events as well. Uh, 100% right. And looking at the time uh, that Justin Thomas did play here, it, it could be just a one-week fluke, but he lost almost a full shot putting. So probably some greens that maybe don't suit his eye very well. And ironically, the same thing with Morikawa. He did finish, he's played here twice. He just finished ninth here in, in 2020. But both times he's played here, he's lost uh, He's lost over half a shot one time putting, and then he almost lost two shots putting the very first time he played here in 2018. But uh, Morikawa is playing pretty good. Did miss the cut at the Phoenix Open, but before that had finished sixth and then finished third at the Farmers. And then should have won the Century Tournament where Rom won, but unfortunately collapsed on the final few holes. And JT's looking to be in a little bit of form as well. Finished 20th at the Genesis, finished fourth at the Waste Management, and then finished 25th at the Farmers. So it looks like more cows playing a little bit better. But to me, Sam, it just looks like the kind of lack of course history compared to some of these other guys may be the reason. But they also, uh, like like Cantley, for whatever reason, has never played here. So uh, sometimes there's a little bit of method to the madness, and uh, they tend to be more right than they're wrong. What do you, how big of a deal is it to have that course history experience? I feel like, you know, you don't know a course until you've played it maybe 10 times and you know where to miss, I think, is the biggest thing. That's a real deal on the PGA Tour to me. That's why I would stay away from a guy like Cantlay who's never played there in a tournament uh, this week. Woody, do you agree or disagree with me? Oh, I agree totally. And, and Sam, keep in mind, those, those guys you just were talking about, Cantlay and Morikawa, uh, they're California boys. They like putting those Poana more than they like putting Bermuda. Okay? So, um, I think the more times you play a golf course, the better you get at it for sure, simply because of what you just said. You know where to miss it. So, um, the way that these schedules with these elevated events are going to be, 
we're going to see, like you were just saying, we're going to see a lot more tournaments where these guys, where you go, what? He's only played there when? So, uh, with it being Arnold's tournament, though, it still kind of shocks me those guys didn't play more. Um, but they're not of an error that were where they thought Arnold was a god like I did. So, um, I think the California, Florida swings are so different, and that's why those guys are really good out there, and they're not that excited when they come to Florida. Talking about picks, guys, I just realized that we didn't let the people know who won our pizza picks from the Live Golf event last week. Uh, so, T-Dub, by the way, you got a point last week for – who was your pick against? I, all I know is I got zero points last week for Abe Answer um, or the Range Goats. Uh, T-Dub, who were your picks last week? So, I, I had I had Joaquin Neiman. He was the highest finisher of the three that we picked. That's how I got my point. And then Woody had a Team uh, Torquay, as they were calling them, who finished third in the team competition. So that's how me and Woody got our points. Woody, you're off to a little bit better start this year than you were last. Uh, I feel pretty good. I got one point on the board. I'm going to be doing a lot better. (laughs) That's right. Uh, Guys, am I missing anything? It's going to be a great week at Bay Hill. T-Dub, what are our omissions from this show? I feel like we've gotten through a lot, but there's still a whole lot more coming. We we covered a lot of stuff today, guys, rightfully so. And, uh, you know, we didn't necessarily we broke down a little bit intensely, but the, the change that these guys that the tour is making next year, going to the the l- smaller fields and no cuts, that's gonna be a big change because that's a lot of tournaments. I mean, what is there twelve, fifteen elevated events? There's double digits, so I mean, it's that's pretty crazy that we're gonna have that many. It's gonna be like I mentioned earlier, a big barrier to entry. So that's gonna be something that we're gonna have to monitor going over the course of the next few years in the PJ Tour and see if. Uh, if that that's something that hasn't really been talked about a whole lot, but that's going to be a massive change going forward, guys. Massive. No, it really is, and it's like I said, it's going to be interesting to see the argument they make on whether they get official World Golf ranking points or not through the precedent that they set. Uh, T Dub, last thing here, go ahead and give the people your DraftKings lineup for this week as well. So a lot of these guys that we had uh, talked about already. My cheapest guy is someone we had in sixty three hundred, Patrick Harrington. Uh, one of the reasons I like him is because he's played this course good amount of times uh, and a cheap guy. And what's funny is that over his last couple of events, he's actually gaining strokes difference or strokes distance. So, I mean, a 53-year-old guy or 51-year-old guy still out there hitting bombs. So I'm going to take him as a pretty cheap value. Another guy who's cheap that I didn't take at 6,300, love it, Aberg. I uh, expect him to, to uh, start to blossom at some point. I'm a PJ Tour, still an amateur at Texas Tech. But uh, that's another guy you could go cheap if you want to. Um, next up, Keegan Bradley at 7,600. That's another guy who who I like. He's played this course, I think, 12 times and only has only missed a cut once as a second and a third back in 2013, 2014, and then obviously finished second at the Farmers this year. And then I mentioned Ricky Fowler, 7,700. It's still a shock to me that uh, I uh, that I am picking him. I, I might have to change it before it happens <laughs> just because my body is, like, freaking out right now that I'm doing it. Um, 8,700, give me Cameron Young. Um, we mentioned earlier that drivers of the golf ball are going to be a premium here. He finished 13th. At this tournament last year, gained strokes in every category. So I expect Cameron Young to have a good week. And then my two uh, finalists, 9,100, Patrick Cantlay. He's fourth analytically to win a tournament, and he's he's only 9,000 essentially. So that seems like pretty good value. And then Rory McIlroy, my most expensive. Uh, you have to debate between those three guys. Uh, Rom was, I believe, 1,000 more than, than Rory was. So it gives you a little bit more flexibility. He was 900 more expensive. So picking Rory gives you a little bit more flexibility because I do expect Rory to play, uh, have a pretty good week just from his past successor. 
No doubt about it. I like that lineup there, T-Dub, for DraftKings. Last thing I'll say about Bay Hill, T-Dub, is I was watching Twitter, uh, watching a video on Twitter this morning, and it was Bryson's drive, you know, a couple of years ago at Bay Hill. Not having Bryson play at Bay Hill, is it makes me a little bit sad because that was must-watch TV. I, I To this day, I still can't believe he treated it like a long drive contest and then everybody was just cracking up afterwards. I, I, in, the, in the moment, it didn't seem like you know something crazy, but going back and watching it, it's still crazy to me. Yeah, you, you, I don't expect we'll see many people doing that this year. And it was just a perfect storm of events, right? He had to have a little bit of tailwind behind him and, and you had the, just all forces of nature had to be exactly right. And he was able to pull it off. It just reminds me, Sam, back at the old, the OG Tiger Woods, PJ Church, 2004, you play <laughs> Bay Hill. If you had your, your character max power, you could cut it off and you could drive the green. I actually made a hole in one on that hole at least once, maybe a couple of times they're playing it. So that's, that's what it brought me back to. It's uh, just shows that video games are just ahead of their time. Sam. <laughs> that's, that's right. We'll have to do a little preview for the EA sports game coming out, which is uh, affiliated with all the major championships in Augusta national. That's coming out soon as well. Uh, T-Dub, thank you for joining us. Uh, by the way, Woody uh, had to go, but uh, Sam Humphreys here. We'll be back on Sunday for the 73rd Hole radio show talking all things Bay Hill. And we'll be back uh, possibly later in the week with a uh, special treat for all of our listeners here on the 73rd Hole podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. Go visit GolfOklahoma.org, get all of your local golf news, and follow the 73rd Hole on Twitter and Instagram as well, and then hit that subscribe button on Apple and Spotify. T-Dub, thank you. Woody, thank you. This has been Sam Humphreys here on Oklahoma's Leader in Golf, the 73rd Hole podcast.